When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you know? In 2015, Sony booted up their old PlayStation machinery to fulfill an unusual order. The art directors of the 2015 Marilyn Manson album, The Pale Emperor, wanted to use the PlayStation disc aesthetic for themselves. Their production manager at Concord Music sourced the CDs from Sony directly, and the album's discs were made from the same specs as the original PlayStation discs, the only difference being that Manson's discs were sprayed with a special film that turned white as the discs warmed up during playback. Earlier models of the PS1 were praised by audiophiles for their superior sound quality. PlayStation systems with an SCPH-1000 serial were popular among music fans as dedicated CD players, with some saying the system was on par with multi-thousand dollar CD players. The PlayStation brand has a strong association with music, and it even originates from a desire to improve audio quality in console gaming. Ken Kutaragi, the man dubbed the father of the PlayStation, became interested in developing for games when he saw his daughter playing the Nintendo Famicom. The Sony Sound Labs engineer felt the console's sound capabilities were lacking, and decided to build dedicated audio chips for consoles. Kutaragi developed the SPC-700 chip in secret while working for Sony, and was nearly fired upon its discovery. His job was saved by the intervention of Sony president Norio Oga, who supported the project. The SPC-700 went on to be used in the SNES, which had audio capabilities surpassing its competition. The audio chip built bridges between Nintendo and Sony, paving the way for more collaboration. Meanwhile, Sony and Philips had been co-developing the CD-ROM XA format, which allowed audio and visual data to be accessed simultaneously from a CD. Nintendo were curious about disc-based gaming, as CDs could hold far more data than cartridges. A deal was struck between the two companies, with Sony to develop a CD-ROM add-on for the Super Nintendo. The project initially went under the name SuperDisc before being changed to PlayStation, a machine capable of playing both SNES cartridges and CD-ROMs. It was agreed that Sony would have exclusive worldwide rights to licensing of the CDs, but this made Nintendo uneasy. They felt the PlayStation project heavily favored Sony as they retained the licensing rights on the discs, meaning Nintendo wouldn't be able to demand any licensing fees from third-party games on CDs. This added to Nintendo's frustration of Sony retaining the rights to the Super Nintendo audio chip, which required expensive development tools that Sony had kept to themselves. Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi believed the deal spelled disaster for Nintendo. They were inviting Sony into the games industry, a company that could potentially become a powerful rival. Ironically, Yamauchi's attempts to avert this possibility actually fulfilled it. He sent Nintendo of America's Howard Lincoln and Minoru Arakawa to Europe to negotiate a new deal with Philips. Even though Sony and Philips had worked together on the CDXA format, internal tensions had forced the companies apart. So it was a humiliating betrayal when, the day after Sony publicly announced their partnership with Nintendo, Nintendo announced entirely different plans. Nintendo would instead be partnering with Philips to develop the SNES's CD peripheral. Oga was furious at Nintendo for not only breaching their contract, but also working with a foreign company over a domestic one, breaking an unwritten rule in Japanese business. By this point, Sony had sunk a huge amount of time and resources into the console, and they seriously considered legal action. Instead, Nintendo filed an unsuccessful injunction claiming their own rights to the PlayStation name. Perhaps as a tactic to frustrate development of the PlayStation, they also proposed that Sony remain involved in the SNES CD project, but only in non-game areas. The two companies revised their arrangement and announced it the following year. Their CD drives would be compatible with one another and Nintendo would license the software produced for the PlayStation. Prototypes did not get very far with only around 200 produced. The SNES cartridge slot 
bought made the console tremendously unappealing at Sony, as most consoles are sold at a loss and Nintendo would be profiting from the software, not them. Additionally, many predicted that the cartridge format was dying. Many Sony employees resented and blamed Kuduragi for the messy situation, believing that Sony should not even be in the game's business. Kuduragi's faith in the PlayStation project was unshaken, though, as he believed the problem was with Nintendo. Sony ceased negotiations with Nintendo in May 1992. It was around this time that several Sony executives approached Sega of America, proposing a collaboration. They noted their mutual enemy in Nintendo and offered to work together on a disc-based console. Discussions were going well until they came to the board of directors at Sega, where the idea was promptly shut down. President and CEO of Sega, Hayao Nakayama, felt that Sony was too inexperienced in the market to be a valuable ally. However, Sega would influence the PlayStation more indirectly. During the planning stages, Sony considered focusing on 2D games, as nobody at the company besides Kudaragi understood how 3D worked. It was when Sega's Virtual Fighter became a smash hit that they changed their minds. In June of 1992, Kudaragi attended a meeting with Sony executives to decide the future of the project. He revealed that he'd been working on a new console that used CD-ROMs and was capable of rendering 3D graphics. While Oga was skeptical of the project due to its high processing requirements, Kuduragi appealed to his pride, reminding him of Nintendo's humiliating betrayal. Convinced, Oga demanded that Sony remain in the games industry, and work on the PlayStation continued, this time as a standalone console with CD-ROM format and powerful 3D graphics. Much of Sony's senior staff saw Nintendo, Sega, and the console industry as toy manufacturers, and believed that working with them would irreparably damage Sony's image. This is also why Sony's logo didn't appear alongside the PlayStations for a long time. To ease the senior staff concerns, Kudaragi was moved to Sony Music, which was technically a different company. Sony Music helped launch the PlayStation as they knew how to attract talent, market the console, and produce and publish CDs. Sony unveiled the PlayStation in 1993 under the new brand PlayStation X, which birthed the PSX abbreviation still used to this day. The hardware was designed by Kudaragi, who was able to squeeze better performance out of an average processor using his VLSI chip. The console's speed and power came as a shock to the industry, with Nakayama demanding another processor be added to the Sega Saturn in response. This decision made the Saturn difficult to develop for, and was a contributing factor to the console's poor sales. Sony's immediate concern was software, and they immediately set about to gather third-party developers to their side. They were keen to gain the support of popular arcade developers like Namco, Konami, and Williams, so that they could compete with Sega's arcade-focused strategy. They also bought Lemmings publisher Cygnosis to be an in-house development team. Cygnosis were a key part of Sony's strategy, as they created a PS1 development system that would work on the average consumer PC, rather than requiring specialized and expensive hardware. Sega and Nintendo's licensing strategy at the time was restrictive, as it was expensive for third parties to get a license. Their proprietary cartridges also had to be procured directly from each company. It'd take 10 to 12 weeks to receive the cartridges, making it impossible for publishers to quickly respond to market demand. Sony had cheaper licensing fees and a large sales force dedicated to distributing the software. This generated a lot of goodwill and many companies began planning games for Sony's system before publishing agreements were even finalized. This included the likes of Squaresoft, who had a long history with Nintendo but were won over by the CD format. The PlayStation's lower price point allowed the console to comfortably compete with the more expensive Saturn, but this price made the PS1 sell at a loss due to the cost of memory. During Sony's infamous conference at E3 1995, they undercut the Sega Saturn's surprise $399 launch price in a humorous manner. Following a long-winded speech, Steve Race, president of Sony Computer Entertainment America, took the stage and simply uttered, $299. Kudaragi ended up removing expensive features from the PlayStation to reduce cost of subsequent models, such as S-Video. Many concepts were designed for the PlayStation logo, with three dozen being presented for final selection. Designer Manabu Sakamoto claimed that the four bright colors of the final logo represent brilliance, joy, passion, and excellence. Designer Taiyu Goto had always had an interest in computer games and was brought onto the PlayStation project in 1993. Sony didn't have any prior experience in the market, so he was given complete freedom with the PlayStation's design. Goto recalled the process being fairly easy, and he designed the box with a sleek, modern look to challenge the perception of game consoles as toys for children. 
The controller proved a lot more difficult, however. Management wanted to mimic the SNES pad so that it would be familiar to gamers. The extra shoulder buttons were added to make it easier to navigate in 3D space. This ended up making the pad unstable, as the player's middle fingers would no longer be supporting it. So grips were added to compensate. Sony executives were not happy with this design, and instructed Goto to revisit the flatter controller. When Goto presented his work to the higher-ups again, Ogle was allegedly furious, demanding that the grips return. Sony chose to assign symbols rather than letters to the buttons to make them easy to remember. Goto came up with the iconic triangle, circle, cross, and square combination soon after. Each symbol was given a color and a universal function. Triangle represented the player's viewpoint, square represented a menu or map, and circle and X represented yes and no, respectively. Circles are used in Japan to mean yes or correct, similar to a tick in Europe and America. This has caused some localization issues with the function of circle and X having to be swapped between Japanese and worldwide releases. Sony released a dual analog controller in 1997 as an experiment to give players better control over their character and the camera. It was discontinued in favor of the DualShock, which also boasted twin rumble motors and comfier analog sticks. The PlayStation's You Are Not Ready campaign was designed to challenge gamers. Sony reasoned that gamers were competitive and they'd want to rise to the challenge of being told that they weren't prepared. Hidden codes and messages were also included in the commercials to encourage discussion and speculation among gamers. For example, the phrase ENOS lives was a coded message teasing the console's eventual release, with NOS meaning 9th of September. Sony would go on to produce several different revisions of the PlayStation console, from a slimmer and sleeker redesign to a version with an external power supply. There was also an addition unique to Hong Kong that included the ability to play video CDs. Did you know? The design of the PlayStation 2 is extremely similar to an unreleased Atari personal computer called the Falcon 030 Microbox. This was the last PC designed by Atari before they refocused their efforts on the Jaguar gaming console, which went on to be crushed in the market by the original PlayStation. There are references to the Falcon 030 Microbox in the design pattern for the PlayStation 2, which was filed in December 1999, six months before the PS2 was launched on March 4th, 2000. The outer design of the PlayStation 2 was created by the chief art director of Sony's Creative Center, Tayu Goto. Goto explained to CNN that his vision was to give the PlayStation 2 a style that would be popular all over the world, so he chose a blue logo on a black surface to represent the blueness of the Earth surrounded by the blackness of outer space. At this time, Sony had many lofty goals for the PlayStation 2. In early press statements, CEO of Sony's gaming subsidiary, Ken Kutaragi, revealed that the PlayStation 2 could function as a home server. He also stated the console would use a new distribution system for music and movies, and that Sony was even preparing an internet music streaming service for the console. Sony never ended up providing streaming software for the PlayStation 2, so it wasn't until the release of the PlayStation 3 that the world could stream media on a PlayStation system, except for Brazil. Netflix released a disc for the PlayStation 2 in the Brazilian market only for customers to stream movies and TV shows. Another PlayStation 2 feature that never really panned out was the upgradable firmware. Sony had planned to distribute official update discs that installed files on a memory card. This update system was only used once officially, and it was seemingly abandoned after that. It is possibly because the update wasn't permanent as the PlayStation 2 lacked internal memory, so when the memory card was removed, the system reverted back to its previous version. The update feature would go on to be used as an exploit by hackers to run homebrew software and ROM files. However, it turned out to be much easier to just use the PlayStation 2 as a home computer. Sony sold an official Linux installation kit that included the operating system, a 40GB hard drive, an Ethernet adapter, and a mouse and keyboard. Of all the forward-thinking features on the PlayStation 2, one of the most surprising is the fact that it was actually capable of playing games in HD. Four PlayStation 2 titles were released with support for 1080i high definition through use of component cables. The PlayStation 2's lifespan, however, wasn't without its own series of setbacks. Early on, many PlayStation 2 owners were subjected to numerous game-breaking disk read error messages. The worst of these cases resulted in damaged DVDs and CDs. This was actually the case of a class action lawsuit which Sony settled by giving those who qualified one free game and $25 off repair costs. Another hardware mishap occurred in 2002 when demand for PlayStation 
PlayStation 2 memory cards completely dominated the supply, resulting in what fans dubbed the Great Memory Card Famine. This was partly due to Sony's failure to renew licenses with third-party memory card manufacturers like Madcat and their inability to meet market demand on their own. Another public relations disaster happened when the PlayStation 2 became the repeated target of war-related media coverage. Early on, the PlayStation 2 was thought to be so powerful for a consumer-grade device that fears emerged it could be used in a terrorist plot. In Japan, the PlayStation 2 was the first game console to face export controls under the Foreign Exchange and Foreign Trade Control Law. According to the law, products that could be used for military purposes cannot be exported out of the country without a special permit. The PlayStation 2 was placed under this category because it was a powerful computer that could theoretically be repurposed in any way, including military. Sony was granted permission to export the consoles to any region of the world except Iran, Iraq, Libya and North Korea. Fears arose again in the United States when media reports spread that then-Iraqi President Saddam Hussein was stockpiling 4,000 PlayStation 2 systems to be weaponized. These reports were quickly brushed aside though because they turned out to be entirely false. An investigation from a UK intelligence agency found these claims to be baseless. One source close to a UK government intelligence said, This is complete cobblers. For a start, the suggestion that there's a shortage of standard PC hardware in Iraq is silly. PCs are commodities like cars and washing machines, and they can get as many P3 and P4 PCs as they like, sanctions or no sanctions. Moreover, that kind of sophisticated capability requires unique software that would have taken years to develop after the PlayStation 2 debuted. Some of the first series of advertisements for the PlayStation 2 are remembered for being very strange. They had bizarre, trippy visuals and didn't highlight any of the system's features. This is because Sony commissioned surrealist film director David Lynch to create the commercials. They were pitched with the idea that the PlayStation 2 is a gateway to another world called The Third Place, where experiences are beyond expectation. Sony of Europe commissioned David Lynch because they felt he was the only one who could communicate this abstract idea. The PlayStation 2 firmware contains a few interesting secrets. The white towers seen in the PlayStation PlayStation 2 startup animation are representations of save data from the user's memory card. They're rendered on the screen in real time according to the number of save files and the size of each file. Also, the strange spinning orbs on the main menu are actually a clock. This is evident by the system configuration menu in which the orbs and 12 glass-like pillars can be seen, with one lit up according to the time. One of the most creative uses of the PlayStation 2's internal clock was in Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. When facing the boss character, The End, if the player saves the game in the middle of the battle and waits over a week before playing again, the end will have died of old age. Of course, it's also possible to change the system's date a week ahead to get the same result. Sony claims that over 10,000 games are available for the system, and support for the PlayStation 2 extended throughout the duration of the PlayStation 3's life cycle. In fact, the PS4 launched in 2013, the exact same year the last two PlayStation 2 games ever were released, FIFA 14 and Pro Evo Soccer 2014. Currently, the PlayStation 2 holds the record as the single best-selling video game console ever, having moved over 157 million units worldwide. The PlayStation 2 was so popular that one man in Britain had his name legally changed to PlayStation 2. The 29-year-old man, formerly known as Dan Holmes, had such a strong attachment to his PlayStation 2 that he even tried to marry the console. The man said to the BBC, I joked about marrying a PlayStation and asked a few vicars if they would do the service. They didn't seem too keen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Did you know? 
Despite piracy being rampant in China, Sony actually wanted to push the PlayStation 2 heavily in the region. Sony even told GameSpot they had no plans to introduce any new anti-piracy measures in China, and that they'd depend on law enforcement to take care of the issue. During the 2000s and 2010s, China went through an infamous gaming console ban, which meant the PlayStation 2 was only sold for a short time. Sony went on to note that the ban was their biggest hurdle, with then PlayStation of China manager, Qiu Shuming, stating, According to our internal sales data, there is piracy, as with other markets in Asia. But hundreds of thousands of copies can still be sold. Sony launched the PS2 in 2004, but was quickly stopped by China's Ministry of Culture, with only 10 PS2 titles being sold in the country. Sony's PlayStation division for China was shut down shortly after in 2005, lasting just over a year. But China wasn't the only region of concern for Sony. A Wall Street Journal article from June 2001 highlighted a report on piracy in Eastern Europe. The report estimated that around 63% of the total software market in 10 Eastern European countries was illegal. This was almost twice as high as Western Europe, which had a piracy rate of about 34% and three times higher than the United States, which was around 20%. And this is just an overview of the region. Some countries had far higher illegal sales than the average. Ukraine and Russia had a software piracy rate of an incredible 90%. The report estimated that the economies of these 10 countries stood to lose over $27 billion to illegal practices over the next three years unless piracy rates dropped the same levels as in Western Europe. Sony tried to prevent pirated games from being mass-produced and sold by keeping an eye on the PS2 market in Russia. With the aid of a private company, the Association for Prevention of Computer Crimes, or the APCC. In 2006, the president of the APCC, Felix Rosenthal, stated that the market for PS2 games in Russia was worth around $200 million a year. And since the country's software piracy rate was 90%, this meant Sony was losing their cut of $180 million of it. But it wasn't all bad news. Rosenthal stated that, thanks to the APCC's efforts, pirated PS2 game sales had dropped by 40% in Moscow. Sony even took measures to prevent the PS2 from being used to produce pirated products itself. According to an article from the official UK PlayStation magazine issue number 3, Sony decided to bundle the UK's PS2 with a special kind of RGB SCART converter cable that produced a lower quality image than a true RGB SCART cable. This was because a true SCART cable would cause any DVD movies being played on the console to display a green image, as the PS2's RGB playback had been disabled for DVD movies. This was done to prevent quote-unquote perfect copies of DVD movies being recorded onto VHS tapes. While this seems like a standard anti-piracy protocol, the lower quality SCART cable sadly caused the image of movies to be displayed at a notably lower quality on the PS2. A representative of Sony told official UK PlayStation 2 magazine, the UK PS2 has been designed to meet rules and regulations that all European DVD players had to adhere to. Though disappointing, the magazine did give out some useful tips on how to best watch movies and play games in the highest possible quality. They listed using an S-video cable as the best way to watch DVD movies, and said the best alternative for gaming was to use an RGB SCART cable, which some had already used for playing games on the original PlayStation. When designing the PlayStation 2, Sony was already preparing to combat piracy with their console. One of the PS2's first lines of defense was having data physically printed into the game discs in a rim. This data was dubbed the Wobble Groove, as it was a groove in the disc that produced a wobbling sound. This Wobble Groove held encryption data that would be processed during the Sony Computer Entertainment startup screen to help check if a disc was a legitimate PS2 game. Any illegitimate discs would trigger the PS2's infamous red screen of death to load in. The wobble groove couldn't be replicated using traditional disk burners of the era, but this didn't discourage hackers. In fact, this method of protection was completely defeated by simply swapping any official game disk with a disk burned with custom homebrew on it after the startup animation data had been loaded. This exploit would later be dubbed the game swap method of loading. But of course, Sony tried to prevent game swapping too. Their main attempt to counter it was to add three sensors to the the PS2 disk drive that tell the system if the disk was removed. 
However, simply blocking these sensors with solid materials, such as electrical tape, paper, or even cardboard, would allow anyone to bypass the sensor's checks. Dattel, a company known for their third-party peripherals, became aware of the exploit and would later go on to sell the Swap Magic disc. Swap Magic is similar to an action replay and had all the authentications of a normal PS2 disc built in to take advantage of the game swap exploit. While the disc handled the authentication side of the exploit, Dattel later bundled the product with the Swap Magic lid, which could be installed on both the PS2 fat and slim models, and covered all of the sensors for the user, disregarding the use of tapes and papers. The PS2 reused some aspects of the original PlayStation's copy protection, meaning hackers were already somewhat familiar with the PS2's defenses from the get-go. As such, many hackers decided early on to focus their efforts on a new aspect of the PS2 its USB port. Custom USB tools such as the Neo Key were built to exploit the console in conjunction with an action replay or GameShark disc. The Neo Key would trick the console into thinking it would be running a PlayStation 1 disc, allowing the action replay to be read. However, it would then have the console switch modes as if it were reading a CD as a PlayStation 2. This allowed custom PS2 CDs to be read by the console. While effective, the exploit was limiting, as it only let gamers play the few hundred CD-based PS2 games and not the more widely produced DVD-based games. DVD-based games were a bit trickier to crack thanks to the PS2's Mechacon chip, which is short for Mechanics Controller. This chip is responsible for applying security measures to game discs, and would kick in whenever discs were being loaded. Sony built its games around the DVD-ROM format, and as such were flagged as DVD-ROMs when they were loaded. This caused a problem for hackers, as consumer-grade DVD burners would only burn discs in the DVD Plus R format. This made it easy for the Mechacon chip to identify discs as forgeries, since legitimate discs were DVD-ROMs and fakes used DVD Plus R but hackers are resilient. Since they couldn't remove the DVD Plus R format that most blank discs were sold with, they soldered some jumper wires in specific locations on the Mechacon chip so that it'd read all discs as both DVD-ROM and DVD Plus R discs. Despite introducing many kinds of anti-piracy measures, one kind of protection for the PS2 had to be completely dropped. Sony had planned for officially licensed memory cards to carry update data for the PS2 as the console's went on. While this method proved to be possible, Sony pulled the plug on it due to the console having no form of internal storage to keep the update data installed permanently. A total lack of memory card protection led to plenty of exploits for the system, such as the popular free McBoot homebrew software, which let users simply save homebrew data onto a memory card from a custom disk. Another form of entry hackers tried to exploit was the PS2's new network and broadband capabilities. This eventually led to the development of the Open PS2 Loader, a homebrew program that lets users send their loaded game data to their PC, allowing them to back up their games digitally rather than burning backups onto a disk. Not only were hackers able to back up their games over a network connection, they could also play them from a PC hard drive as well, essentially streaming games to their PS2 from backups. Open PS2 Loader was commonly used to help preserve the PS2's sensitive disk laser, as no disk is needed to play the game after they've been backed up. Sony's response to the exploits came in the form of the PS2 Slim models, specifically their line of 90K Slim models. Sony's 90K Slim models were built with an updated BIOS that wouldn't allow any custom homebrew to be run on the system via disk, which in turn also helped protect the memory card. This too was ultimately overcome by hackers, who built custom mod chips that could be installed in a PS2 as possibly the most effective way to play homebrew software and and game backups. One of the most popular mod chips of its time was the Messiah chip. It allowed almost every kind of DVD, CD, and PlayStation disc to be read. This gave the console some quality of life benefits such as region-free gaming, but also aided some more questionable practices as it enabled the use of pirated discs. The biggest hurdle with mod chips was all the soldering needed, as the Messiah required dozens of wires to be soldered to specific points on the system's main board. 
This was no easy task for the average user and led to many people paying for the chip to be installed by experienced modders. To this day, hackers are finding more and more ways to crack into the PS2. An exploit dubbed Free DVD Boot was discovered by the hacker CTURT and would allow the PS2 to load up homebrew and pirated games without any physical modifications to the console at all. This exploit works by tricking the console into thinking the inserted disc is a DVD movie and using the disc's metadata to point the console towards executable files such as video games. While this method is convenient to boot homebrew games and software, the exploit needs to be tweaked for each piece of software the user wants to load. CTURT isn't a new name in the PS2 homebrew scene and has developed a handful of tricks for the system over the years. In 2019, CTURT developed the YaBasic PS2 exploit. This exploit involved one of the PS2 demo discs that came with the console in most of the PAL region. Any demo disc with a build of YaBasic on it could be used to exploit any PS2, even 90k models, without needing too much effort. YaBasic, also known as Yet Another Basic, is a basic interpreter originally made for Windows that allows users to make their own programs. I'm sure you can see where this is going. YaBasic was officially brought to PS2 by Sony themselves as a pack-in demo disc that let Sony sell the console as a home computer and not a games console. With YaBasic having no major forms of security, CTURT took advantage of the program to run his own exploit on the PS2. This exploit, however, is only practical with PAL region consoles. While it's theoretically possible to use it on NTSC PS2s, the user would need to make their console region free to play the demo disc, which would mean you already have an exploited console. Did you know? In 2010, Sony launched a 22-inch 720p TV exclusively in Europe as part of its Bravia line. This special TV came with a built-in PlayStation 2, plus access to streaming services and on-demand television. However, this wasn't the first time the PS2 was part of an entertainment system. In 2003, Sony released the PSX, an entertainment system that played PlayStation 2 games, but came with a few extras. This included a built-in hard drive and a video recorder that could burn DVDs. Players could also transfer media files between the PSX and the PSP via USB. The PSX was the first console to utilize Sony's cross-media bar, or XMB menu. This menu layout was designed for quick access to different kinds of media in a user's library such as games, music, and movies. The XMB would become standard for both the PSP and the PlayStation 3. Although Sony reported strong sales of the PSX at launch, sales quickly dropped off and retailers began selling inventory at almost half the price. While Sony planned to release the PSX in the US and Europe in 2004, these plans were never realized. There were also a few special controllers made for the system. To tie in with the release of Animusha 3 Demon Siege, Japanese manufacturer Hori released Katana, the sole controller, in 2004. This was a roughly three feet long wireless controller in the shape of a katana. The blade of the sword was removable, and all the controller's standard buttons were located on the handle of the sword. The main selling point of the katana was its additional motion controls, which let players perform attacks in Animusha 3 by swinging the controller like a sword. It also came with an instruction manual printed in the form of a traditional Japanese scroll. The katana was Hori's first official product released in the US, and retailed for about $150. Another unique third-party controller for the PlayStation 2 was the Thrustmaster Fighting Arena, consisting of a touch-sensitive floor mat and two vertical poles with infrared sensors. Designed for fighting games, the device aimed to replace simple button presses with actual punches and kicks to add more immersion to gameplay. The Fighting Arena was released in 2001 and sold for $80. In 2005, Sega released a PlayStation 2 controller modeled after the Sega Saturn's controller. The A, B, X, and Y buttons functioned as the PlayStation 2's X, Circle, Square, and Triangle buttons, respectively. L2 and R2 were mapped to the shoulder buttons, and the Z and C buttons were used in place of L1 and R1. The controller also added PS2-style start and select buttons. The idea of Sega releasing an official controller for the PS2 once seemed completely ridiculous, as the Dreamcast was its main competitor at launch. 
The rivalry between the two companies was so intense that at one point Sega included the anti-PlayStation 2 Easter egg in Sonic Adventure 2. In the game's opening level, a poster urging people to keep playing Sonic Adventure 2 on their Dreamcast can be found on one of the walls, sponsored by the Anti-XXXXXX2 Association. From the way it's written, it can be interpreted as standing for Anti-Sony PS2 Association. This text was removed when the game was ported to other consoles. While the PlayStation 2 definitively outsold the Dreamcast, there was a period of time where the end result was in question. Right before the PS2's launch, Sony announced they would be cutting back their initial U.S. shipments of the console from 1 million units to 500,000 units due to a shortage of necessary hardware. While some analysts anticipated the lack of supply would drive new sales for the Dreamcast, the PlayStation 2 launched a major sales success. However, supply problems continued to be an issue for the system throughout its life. Not long after this, Sony declined to renew several licensing agreements with third-party hardware manufacturers like Madcats, who had a big hand in producing PlayStation 2 memory cards. Without the output of these other companies, Sony couldn't make enough memory cards to keep up with demand. Some U.S. stores at the time reported they'd been forced to institute waiting lists for customers looking to buy memory cards. History would repeat itself in 2004. Just before the launch of the newly redesigned PS2 Slim model, Sony admitted demand for the new system had exceeded their expectations, and they would be unable to supply enough Slims for the holiday season. Perhaps the biggest launch delay the PlayStation 2 ever faced occurred in Brazil. There, the PlayStation 2 didn't receive an official launch until the year 2009. One of the primary reasons for the extreme delay was the Brazilian government's trade laws, which enforced steep taxes on imported goods. This also explains why it launched with a price tag equivalent to 460 US dollars. Even though Brazil didn't get the PS2 until nine years after its worldwide launch, this was still well within the system's official lifespan. After its release in 2000, the PlayStation 2 remained in production until it was discontinued in early 2013. The last official game released for the PS2 was Pro Evolution Soccer 2014 on November 8, 2013, one week before the launch of the PlayStation 4. Beyond that, the system's online servers remained in operation until December 31, 2016. The true end of Sony's official support came when they announced they would no longer be providing repairs for the PS2 after September 7, 2018, almost 18 years after its release. To put that into perspective, the PlayStation 2 was launched while the Nintendo 64 was still on the market, and its official support did not end until after the Wii U was discontinued and the Nintendo Switch was on sale. At the end of the line, the PlayStation 2 sold over 155 million units, making it the best-selling console of all time. The PS2 also introduced several groundbreaking features that had never been seen in a video game console. For instance, the PS2 took advantage of the PSP to offer some inventive new gameplay experiences. While connection between the PS2 and PSP was hyped up as a major new feature of the handheld, only a handful of games actually took advantage of it. Several of these, like Crash Tag Team Racing, simply unlocked new content like vehicles or tracks by connecting to its counterpart on the PSP. But some games took it a step further. Titles like FIFA 08, WWE SmackDown vs. Raw 2006, and Super Monkey Ball Adventure let players transfer their save data between the PlayStation 2 and PSP versions. This made it possible for players to start the game on their home console and take it with them on the go. Although the Dreamcast was the first home console to feature a digital camera peripheral with the DreamEye, the PS2's iToy was the first to achieve international success and widespread support. Originally envisioned by Dr. Richard Marks, a technology consultant from Stanford University, the iToy was released worldwide across 2003. In addition to its use in video games, the iToy also served as a functioning USB webcam. Several unofficial drivers exist, allowing the iToy to be used on Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. An interesting fact about the PS2's iToy is that it caused problems for the development of Little Big Planet. Two weeks before development was scheduled to end, a Japanese QA tester found an unidentifiable bug that caused the game to crash entirely. The tester would leave the game running overnight, and every night the game would crash without fail. Media Molecule co-founder Alex Evans said, We could not reproduce it. Eventually, we realized they had an iToy plugged into the PS3. Finally, we noticed the crash was always around 4 a.m. Why? What happened only in Japan at 4 a.m.? Eventually, the answer came. Cleaners arrived. They were more thorough than our cleaners. One hour of vacuum cleaner white noise near the iToy caused the in-game chat audio compression to leak a few bytes of memory. This leak led to a crash. 
It took Media Molecule days of non-stop investigation to find the issue and ended up fixing the bug just five minutes after identifying it. With such a huge and diverse library of games, it's not surprising that many of them were subject to censorship. One game affected was the rather strange PS2 exclusive Dog's Life, which had its ending altered in Japan. At the end of the game's international version, the main villain Miss Peaches is fed into a blood-stained cat food processing machine. It's then stated that Peaches is now cat food. In the Japanese version, the section where Peaches is turned into cat food is entirely removed. Despite the changes to make it more kid-friendly, the Japanese game also adds a gun-cocking sound just before Peaches is pushed into the machine. Another PS2 exclusive that was censored is Twisted Metal Black. The game's European release suffered from many cuts, including the removal of all but one cutscene. This meant roughly one hour of video was removed, and the game's story along with it. Other cuts included the removal of the Boeing 747, drivers running from their wreckage while on fire, the loading screen text pieces, and in-game info of the drivers. However, short clips of the cutscenes were shown during the credits, as well as a gameplay clip showing the 747 being shot down. Unsurprisingly, PS2 releases of the Grand Theft Auto series also face censorship. The German version of GTA 3 was heavily censored to meet a US K-16 rating. Some of the more notable changes were the removal of blood, as well as headshots and amputations. Players were also unable to hit anyone while they were on the ground, and no money would drop from NPCs who were killed. In addition to this, all Rampage missions were removed. The censorship was so intense it sparked a rumor that it was impossible to run over pedestrians in the German release, though this rumor was false. All of these measures were taken with the German version of GTA Vice City as well. But Vice City had its own instances of censorship beyond this. One scene in Vice City sees Tommy Versetti talking to director Steve Scott during the filming of an adult movie. In the Japanese version of the game, the scene was heavily censored to not only remove the actors within the film, but also much of the audio. Dance Dance Revolution Supernova, which was a PS2 console exclusive, was also censored. The song Robo Girl by The Crystal Method actually goes by the name of Robo Suit in real life. The name was changed in order to ensure the game kept its E-ESRB rating. Not all censorship on the PS2 was done to mask sex and violence, however. In the case of Dark Cloud 2, the game's English releases simply took every instance of the word wine and replaced it with grape juice. This can be seen frequently throughout Chapter 2, which covers the Furbit's love of the drink. Did you know? In 2010, the United States Air Force created a supercomputer out of 1,700 PlayStation 3. When all the systems were linked together, the PS3 cluster was capable of over 500 trillion calculations per second, which made it 50,000 times faster than the average laptop at the time. The Air Force created the PlayStation supercomputer because it saved them between 10 to 20 times what they could have paid for a system with the same capabilities. Being repurposed into a supercomputer was good press for the PS3, but the console hadn't always been the subject of such positive attention. Starting with the unveiling of the console itself, the PS3 was criticised for reusing the logo font from 2002 Spider-Man movie. Gamers generally thought it was lazy and unoriginal. Surprisingly though, this font may have inspired the actual design of the PlayStation 3. Back when Sony made the PlayStation 2, its logo was squared off and rectangular to match the shape and design of the console. The PlayStation 3 logo was one of the first design elements created for the console, and according to PlayStation designer Teyu Goto, the curved typography of the Spider-Man font may have been the motivating force behind the shape of the PS3. Also ridiculed by gamers was their new controller, which was dubbed the Boomerang by fans. Sony later explained that the Boomerang was just a design concept and was designed around how the controller felt rather than its appearance. Sony then later revealed the more traditional-looking six-axis controller, which was again criticized by gamers. The six-axis had a lot of new features like wireless Bluetooth capability and motion sensing, but it lacked rumble feedback. Despite defending the six-axis, Axis by claiming the Rumble was last-generation tech, Sony eventually replaced it with the Rumble-enabled DualShock 3. At launch, the high price of the PS3 also became a point of contention with fans, but ironically the system sold for years without Sony making a single penny of profit. According to an industry market intelligence firm, Sony potentially lost over $200 on every early sale. Sony repeatedly told investors and press that setting the retail price lower than the manufacturing cost was a strategic choice because they expected the cost of making the system to drop rapidly over time. However, by the end of the 2000s, 
2007 fiscal year, Sony posted an operating loss of almost $2 billion, and there was a lot of pressure to turn these numbers around. In April 2007, Sony Gaming CEO Ken Kutaragi announced that he would retire. The press was quick to blame the controversies and profit loss, but Sony International released a press statement saying that Kutaragi had been planning his retirement for a while and it had nothing to do with the PlayStation 3 sales strategy. Under a new CEO, Kazuo Hirai, Sony released a 40GB PlayStation 3 model that sold for $100 less than the 20GB model. This version had a few components removed, including the PlayStation 2 Emotion Engine CPU, which was originally included to enable compatibility with PS2 games. With backwards compatibility removed and falling prices for microprocessors, the production costs of PlayStation 3s were halved by January 2008. By August 2009, Sony was able to manufacture PS3s at $240 per unit, meaning after almost three years on the market, the systems were finally profitable. The PlayStation 3 was the first major commercial application of the Cell Multi-Core Microprocessor. The processor was designed to bridge the gap between conventional desktop processors and more specialized high-performance processors, but many developers found the hardware very difficult to work with at first. Famously, Valve's Gabe Newell called the system a total disaster to develop for. Over time, though, developers slowly adapted and began utilizing the system to its full potential. One example is Hexadrive's HD port of Okami on the PS3. It's actually rendered in 4K resolution and then downsampled to 1080p in real time. Sony also used the PS3 to push their proprietary Blu-ray disc format, which helped lead to a crushing defeat of the HD DVD. Aside from offering a larger storage capacity, Blu-ray discs are also scratch-resistant. Early designs for Blu-ray discs were particularly vulnerable to scratches, so the first Blu-ray discs were actually encased in cartridges for protection, similar to floppy disks. But the cartridges made an already expensive medium even more expensive. So the designers opted to use an ultra-hard yet very thin polymer coating to protect the discs because it was a much cheaper alternative. One of the earliest promotions of the PS3 played for an audience of 16 million during Game 4 of the World Series of Baseball. The commercial itself is remembered for being very strange and confusing. It featured a crying baby doll and a floating PS3. Sony America's Vice President of Marketing, Peter Dill, called the ad the ultimate Rorschach test, referring to the Rorschach ink block test. According to Dill, the commercial doesn't have any specific meaning. It was intended to be vague so the viewer could interpret the message in a personal way. Later on, PS3 ads became a little bit more lucid and straightforward. One of the most popular ad campaigns involved a fiction employee of Sony named Kevin Butler. He became so well known that Sony actually received requests for interviews from journalists who didn't realize he was just a character. Kevin Butler even caused an international uproar after a joke in one of his commercials. You can't believe everything you read on the internet. Otherwise, I'd be a Nigerian millionaire by now. The line was intended as a reference to the notorious Nigerian prince scam emails, but the government of Nigeria took offense to the joke, calling it an unwarranted attack on the reputation and image of the country. Sony issued an apology to Nigeria and immediately pulled the commercial from the air. They later created a reply ad that changed the line to You can't believe everything you read on the internet. That's how World War One got started. Kevin Butler was presented as a face for Sony and PlayStation 3 for a few years, but the character was quietly removed from the spotlight after the actor who played Kevin Butler was sued by Sony for trademark infringement. The actor, Jerry Lambert, made an appearance in a Bridgestone commercial that included a promotion for Mario Kart Wii. Sony claimed to sell products other than those from PlayStation misappropriates Sony's intellectual property, creates confusion in the market, and causes damage to Sony. As part of the settlement, Jerry Lambert agreed not to appear in an ad that features any other video game or video game company. The PlayStation 3 was part of the first console generation to adopt online capabilities as a core feature. But Sony went through a series of growing pains as the PlayStation Network became a target for hackers and identity thieves. The first major hacking scandal happened in 2011. A sustained criminal cyber attack occurred from April 17th to April 19th. On April 20th, Sony was forced to shut down the PlayStation Network and it stayed offline for 23 days. It was one of the largest data breaches in history, with over 70 million PSN users' personal information potentially compromised. Sony issued a formal apology, provided one million million dollars in identity theft insurance for every user, and gave everyone free games for PS3 and PSP. The attack cost Sony $170 million. The second major cybersecurity scandal happened in 2014, very shortly after an unrelated cyber attack on Sony Pictures Entertainment by North Korea. Near Christmas time, both the PlayStation Network and Xbox Live were targeted by a group of hackers who brought the networks down to deliberately ruin the holidays for gamers. They flooded the PlayStation Network servers with fake traffic, a technique called the denial of service attack, which made it impossible for regular users to log on. The same hacking group also tweeted a bomb threat at an American Airlines flight carrying the president of Sony Online Entertainment and the plane had to make an emergency landing. The FBI launched an investigation which led to the arrest of several hackers and Sony offered inconvenience users discount codes on the PlayStation Store and free extensions for PlayStation Plus members.
Did you know? The PlayStation 4's online sharing features were inspired by Dark Souls and Demon's Souls. The franchise let players leave messages for other players asynchronously, so even though they weren't playing directly with friends, they still felt like part of a connected community. The PlayStation 4 controller was also partly designed by Bungie. After separating from Microsoft in 2007, Bungie worked with Sony regarding exclusivity and early access content for Destiny, and Sony took Bungie's suggestions on how to make the DualShock 4 controller better for Destiny and shooters in general. The PS4 development kit sent out before launch were codenamed Orbis. Although the title Orbis was eventually replaced by PlayStation 4, the name's influence can still be seen. The official name of the system software remains Orbis OS. A new feature for the DualShock 4 is the light bar, which spans across most of the controller's back. The light bar was made to distinguish individual players through the use of solid colours, as well as to allow the PlayStation camera to detect the position of each controller. However, a large amount of players found the controller's light to be overwhelming. This irritation created an entire market of third-party light bar dimming stickers and even prompted Sony to issue a system update to the PS4 which allowed the controller's brightness to be adjusted. Shuhei Yoshida was asked on Twitter if a future update would allow the light bar to be turned off completely, to which he simply responded, no. Sensing the rise of live streaming as an online phenomenon, Sony prioritized video recording and streaming as one of the PS4's main features. The start and select buttons from the DualShock 3 were dropped in favor of a single function options button and a share button was added to coordinate these features. The PlayStation 4 always records gameplay in the background while a second custom chip in the system exclusively handles video encoding and network features. The Xbox 360's Red Ring of Death is the most infamous console hardware failure in recent history, but the PS4 also had a similar phenomenon occurring at its launch. Referred to as the blinking blue light of death, this particular manufacturing defect is estimated to affect 0.4% of PS4s and cause the device to get stuck in boot-up. Sony ended up creating a page on their official support forum to troubleshoot this specific issue, but if none of their advice corrected the problem, Sony promised to replace the console entirely. The PlayStation 4 supports the playback of DVDs and Blu-rays, but unlike the PS2 and PS3, it doesn't support the playing of audio CDs. The PS4 also didn't support MP3 files at launch, but due to massive outpouring from users, Sony added the playback of MP3 files via USB with firmware update 2.0. This update allowed music to be played during gameplay but did not allow the copying of music to the PS4's hard drive. Sony stated that they wouldn't be opposed to adding CD playback in a future update but declined to add it in update 2.0 due to time constraints. Speaking of software, there's a small secret in the section of the console's code. Kazuya Sakakihara, a software engineer who worked for Sony during the creation of the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4, left his name within the PS4's hard drive. The location of his name in the code is unusual, as names are often left in a separate area for storing comment data, often in his abbreviations or initials. However, in the case of Sakakihara, his name is left in full within the middle of the data, unencrypted. And it's not known if this was intentional or not, but Sakakihara's name is also misspelled. Although Kazuya is no longer with Sony, his name will quite literally live on within the PlayStation 4. PlayStation 4 fell into controversy in late 2015, being accused of serving as an ISIS recruiting tool, with some even going as far as to say Sony was providing asylum to ISIS members via its online services. This paranoia was likely due to a statement issued by Jean Jambon, Interior Minister of Belgium, regarding the console. Jambon stated, It's very, very difficult for our services, not only Belgian services but international services, to decrypt the communication that is done via PlayStation 4. The PlayStation 4 is even more difficult to keep track of than what? Circulating this controversy, Forbes reported that the ISIS terror attacks on Paris in November 2015 were planned by members of the organization using the PlayStation 4's messaging features. This report seems unsupported, however, as there is yet to be any confirmed link between the Paris terror attacks and a PlayStation service or product. Forbes later amended the article with a short preface that read, It has not been confirmed, as originally written, that a console was found as a result of specific Belgian terror raids. Minister Jambon was speaking about tactics that he knows ISIS to be using generally. Sony responded to the controversy saying, We take our responsibilities to protect our users extremely seriously and we urge our users and partners to report activities that may be offensive, suspicious or illegal. We are committed to taking appropriate actions in conjunction with the appropriate authorities and will continue to do so. But perhaps the biggest controversy regarding the PlayStation 4 relates to its built-in augmented reality app known as the Playroom. This application shipped with all PS4 consoles and uses the PlayStation camera to allow players to interact with virtual elements super 
superimpose into their actual room. Some users discovered that by using this application, they could broadcast the room itself to sites like Twitch and Ustream through the PS4's live streaming features. This has allowed for more controversial streams making their way to live streaming sites, which, although uncommon, have included nudity, sex, drug use, and other incriminating activities. Despite any controversial software setbacks, though, the system has sold over 14 million units. Even more impressively, over 1 million PlayStation 4s were sold in just the first 24 hours of the system's release. This makes it the fastest selling video game console in history. The PlayStation brand as a whole has done remarkably well, and to commemorate the 20th anniversary of PlayStation, Sony created a PS1-styled grey PlayStation 4. Only 12,300 of these consoles were created. There were also close to 1,500 PlayStation 1 games released in North America between 1995 and 2004, and if all of these games were copied off their discs, they could all fit comfortably on the PS4's default 500GB hard drive. Today we'll be looking at lawsuits relating to Sony's PlayStation brand. When a computer boots, the system will always rely on a BIOS, the firmware that comes installed on a motherboard which initializes the entire boot process. This is a pivotal part of any game console, as it details how the hardware inside the system is used. The BIOS of the original Sony PlayStation was once at the heart of a legal battle that had repercussions still relevant to this day. In July of 1998, a company known as Connectix began developing an emulator for Macintosh computers, known as the Virtual Game Station, which would allow users to emulate PlayStation games. To assist with development of their application, the team relied on reverse engineering the console's BIOS, directly copying Sony's original code and developing the emulator of the console's hardware around it. They would replace Sony's BIOS with their own code at a later date before making the software available to consumers. Sony's BIOS would effectively be used exclusively for the purpose of their own reference, and not for a public release. In September of the same year, Connectix had made headway with their emulator, and the company decided to reach out to Sony for technical assistance. Aaron Giles, who worked for Connectix, recalled, we naively decided to approach Sony Computer Entertainment of America about licensing their BIOS and getting some sort of endorsement. We demonstrated the A-list title, Crash Bandicoot, running on an iMac. Then the CEO asked if our emulator would run any game at all, and we nervously said, of course, knowing full well that we had not had time to verify the hundreds of available games. He walked over to the bookcase and picked out Ridge Racer, a game we had in fact spent quite a bit of time on. Development of the emulator was completed in December, and commercially released in January of 1999. Sony saw the Virtual Game Station software as a threat to their game hardware business, so they sent the company a complaint that same month, alleging they committed copyright infringement and violated Sony's intellectual property. During this situation, Sony even received support from other console manufacturers, such as Nintendo and Sega, while Connectix was backed by several software firms. Sony was awarded an injunction by the district court, preventing Connectix from copying and using the Sony BIOS while they developed the virtual game station for their already planned Windows version of the software. It also prevented them from selling both the unfinished Windows version and the completed Macintosh version. Not only that, but the court impounded Connectix's copies of Sony's BIOS and all copies of their work which was based on it. Connectix appealed against the decision, with the US Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit reversing the earlier decision in the company's favor. The court ruled 3-0 on whether Connectix's copying, referencing, and reverse engineering of the PlayStation firmware was protected by fair use. The court looked at a similar case between Sega and Accolade in 1992, which decided copying of software for the sake of reverse engineering fell under fair use. Each of the four components of fair use were considered individually. The nature of the copyrighted work, how substantial the code is and the quantity of it used, the purpose of using it, and the effect the action had on Sony's potential market. The reversal of the district court's rulings on both copyright infringement and trademark tarnishing lifted the injunction against Connectix. The company immediately motioned to the court that Sony's lawsuit should be dismissed. After Sony failed to appeal the case with the Supreme Court, both companies settled out of court a year later. In March of 2001, Sony bought the rights for the Virtual Game Station and had it discontinued in June the same year. Connectix closed their doors two years later, a very similar situation to that surrounding Bleem, a commercially released PlayStation emulator for the Dreamcast. 
Advocates for video game emulation ascertained that this case holds merit and continued relevance, as it establishes console emulators within the United States as legal, and that the act of reverse engineering falls under fair use. It isn't just Sony who takes others to court, as they themselves are often in the position of being accused. In 2005, Frosty Treats Incorporated accused the technology giant of infringing their trademarks, not just in using the phrase Frosty Treats in the Twisted Metal series, but also similarities between their character Sweet Tooth and the ice cream vendor's Safety Clown. The Frosty Treats company have ice cream trucks which feature both this phrase as well as the clown in question, used to guide children towards the back of the vehicle. In Twisted Metal 2, the crazy clown character Sweet Tooth drives an ice cream truck of his own, also featuring a Frosty Treats logo. The case did not take long to be dismissed, as the District Court for the Western District of Missouri held that the name was too generic to be protected. Judge Scott Wright claimed in his dismissal that the various depictions of the Sweet Tooth character and the plaintiff's safety clown are so dissimilar that no reasonable trier of fact could conclude that they are confusingly similar. Frosty Treats appealed to no avail, with the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals affirming the dismissal for the name being too generic, and that both clowns were different enough that no consumer would confuse the two. Did you also know that Super Mario Bros. 3 had several more secrets and cultural references hidden within it? Or that Super Mario 64 has several changes from its Japanese release? For a whole bunch more Mario facts, check out the video on screen. What's your favourite NES game? I imagine probably quite a lot of you didn't have the console. Shut up, kid. Nobody cares about your ball. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.